Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and beginning in verse number 10. The Bible says, My brethren, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. For the past six weeks in this church, and I think it's been a good six weeks, <clears throat> we have really made a focus in the church to deal with uh, to deal with the armor of God. In other words, specifically, really embedded right in this passage right here that I read, and, and then for about four or five verses beyond that, dealing with the armor of God, putting on the pieces of that armor. We've done it in a variety of ways. We've even demonstrated how that can be done, literally, physically, and <clears throat> a number of things like that. I think we need to understand that our, in our world today, in our world, we are facing a global crisis of terror. And I realize that we see this on television, we see the terror of terrorists. But I am also talking about a global crisis of terror that comes from the enemy of our soul, the devil. And I'm afraid there are sometimes that we don't recognize that well. I think sometimes it's easy for us to uh, kind of set that aside and say, that, that doesn't exactly affect me all that much. But I'm afraid we would be mistaken if we held on to that, to that belief uh, for any length of time at all. It does affect us. And it impacts our life. It impacts our spiritual life. It impacts our daily life. It impacts how we think and everything. This global war against our soul has been going on ever since and before the Genesis 1 when God said, let us create heaven and earth. It began in long before we see written history of what God is doing when the enemy is cast out of heaven. We see this epic battle between good and evil and all of these things. We see what happened to Adam and Eve and the fact that what they did in the garden has affected me today, it affects you today. I thought of that a little bit this week. I'm a person that doesn't normally get sick, but I did this week, and, and I want to thank you. I think there was a lot of people that probably prayed for me and everything, and I really appreciate that. And I think I'm kind of getting sort of over that and everything. Well, not just sort of, I am. But I feel incredibly weak and everything like that. But uh, I realized that the reason I got sick this week was because my parents, my parents, not mom and dad in Arizona, but my parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. They made a decision that they thought they knew better than God and they disobeyed God and therefore it hits me with the sickness. 
I know you think that's a long ways from several thousand years back to 2017, <coughs> but it's a reality. When Jesus came to earth, <coughs> he was immediately confronted with the desire of Herod. Herod wanted to kill all of the little boy babies. That's demonic. That's demonic. At the start of his ministry, the Bible says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And guess who was there to test him? And the Bible says for 40 days, Jesus endured the tests of the enemy. When he was approaching the cross <clears throat> on his last night with his disciples, the Bible says he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And the Bible says he sweat great drops of blood as he prayed. The intensity, the warfare. It would have been easy to say, there's got to be a better way than this. And he could have done it too. It followed him to the cross, where once again the proposition was, call legions of angels down and they'll take you off this cross. <coughs> it was there, even after the resurrection. And we have it till today even. Was the resurrection real? Was this faked or was this... How is this work and all of this stuff? This is, the, this is the deception of the enemy that comes in to try to get us to doubt God, to doubt what God is saying to our lives and to ruin our faith. <coughs> Excuse me. Your victory in spiritual warfare must, be, must rest on the reality that God has given you everything you need that he's given everything that uh, you should desire in light of the truth, and that God is not going to necessarily dress you in these armaments that we have described. But you have to put on that armor yourself. I have to put on each piece. I have to put it on on a daily basis. In fact, really by saying that, it, it is somewhat of a mistake to say that, because I need to keep the armaments on, not just take it off, at 8 o'clock at night and put it on at 8 o'clock in the morning. I need to keep these things on in my life all of the time. Paul warned the Ephesian elders. He said this in Acts chapter 20. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after he... Paul is saying these, these attacks are going to come from a, a multitude of directions. We expect the attack from the outside, but also, he said, you need to be aware there will be an attack from the inside, too. And Satan is not opposed to using all kinds of means <coughs> and manner to try to get us to be tripped up, to be discouraged, to, to go off in the wrong direction, or any of these other things. The Bible talks about uh, seven churches of Asia, and, it, and we're not necessarily going to study these this morning, but in the Revelation chapters 2 and chapter 3, Jesus writes seven letters to seven very real churches that were in existence at that time, and he addresses issues in those churches that was going on. These churches also represent 
a variety of things that are occurring through the ages up until the present time even. So these churches have a, have, <coughs> if you will, a universal kind of an effect and, and bearing on, on everything that's going on. The first church that Jesus speaks about is the church of Ephesus, a well-established church, a church that had high regard to the word, that desired to be obedient to the word, and therefore they believed that they really loved God, okay? So they were on fire for God, but, <coughs> but the Bible says this, Jesus said, I've got this against you. He said, you have left your first love. Let me tell you something, saints of God, understand this. You and I can believe the Bible, we can present the Bible, we can say, I obey the Bible, and all of these things, but if we have left our first love, in other words, that kind of love that was in existence when we first came to Christ, when, when we realize that God has forgiven us, when we realize that our lives have been set free, that we're no longer under a bondage, that we're, no, no longer, we're no longer squeezed into this, into this corral of sin, and we've been liberated. And there is, a, there is a, there's an incredible love that emerges out of that sort of a, sort of a sense of <coughs> knowing that Christ has set us free. He says, you've left your first love. Remember from where, and he says, remember where you've fallen. So there was a fall here. It was, the ex, it was sort of a gradual thing. It didn't come on overnight. It was a gradual thing. Folks, I, I want you to know something. <clears throat> I stand down here every Sunday. And I'm sure there's some people who wonder, how come this guy raises his hands like this? What's wrong with him? Everything. Folks, I, I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to mimic anything. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to suggest anything, but I'm telling you, it is first love that brings my hands up. God, you've set me free. God, you are my friend. I'm excited about that. God, when I speak uh, a word of prayer to you, you hear me. I'm excited about that. I'm really excited. I'm excited that God has a will for my life. I'm excited that God has a desire for my life, and he wants me to go from, from Y to X to Y to Z and all of that stuff. I'm excited about that. I'm revved up over what God wants to do, and I'm going to worship him. I'm going to enjoy this moment here. It's so special. It's so wonderful. Spiritual defection, folks. Listen to me carefully. Spiritual defection begins with simply forgetting the joy of those first experiences of love after salvation. I'm talking about spiritual defection. The love of Bible. I love your word. I love to get around people who know how to pray. I love to get around people who don't know how to pray. In fact, I think some of the best ways to figure out what's going on in the church is probably to step back into the four and five-year-old class and say, hey, let's take some prayer requests today. And you hear about all of the things that these kids are praying about. And you say, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was going on. You'll get that one. Jesus, Jesus wants us to lift his name up and, uh, 
and to glorify me. Listen, listen to me, church. When the church substitutes programs and activities and ceremony and human issues for the Lord and his work, it soon becomes a spiritual corpse. It has no spiritual life because God is not there and his glory has been lifted away from that moment. And when we tolerate sin, when we tolerate empty ritual and all of these things, self-satisfaction replaces spiritual life. And we must be careful about those things. Back to the text for a moment here. The Bible says, <clears throat> the Bible says here, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is about preparation. It's simply telling us that we need to be prepared or we will be defeated. The strength of the Christian life is dependence on God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. <coughs> oh, excuse me. You know what? I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to go to this microphone, okay? Or this Last thing you need to hear is amplified coughs. <laughs> okay, we got, got some power here? Super. I thank God for those guys back there, and you should too. They work hard. These guys are working hard. And I'll tell you what, uh, they're, they're training some new people too. Because it can be just one or two people. There's usually about, uh, it looks like you're missing at least two back there. And, uh, and so I appreciate these guys. I tell you, I really do. They get it right. And anytime you hear a little howl in the thing, don't worry about that. They're, they're figuring it out. They get it. Usually they can hear it too. I forgot where I was. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I'm blaming it on the sickness. <laughs> Jesus commended the church at Philadelphia. In, you know, in that series of seven churches, the last church was Philadelphia. He says, I put, a, I put before you an open door, which nobody can shut. And because, listen to this, because you have a little power. He says, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus is saying to me here, he's saying, look, even a little bit of power, do you understand that? We don't come in here necessarily saying, hey, look at me, I'm full of power, I'm full of faith, I'm full of all of this. We come in here most of the time saying, I don't have a whole lot of power left, and I haven't got a whole lot of faith, but Jesus said, the faith of a mustard seed is enough to be able to say, move this mountain out of my way. This is what God does when he gets a hold of our lives and begins to work in our life and, and we allow him and we say, we're fine with that, we're fine with that. Let's not put parameters around God and say, I'm fine with everything up to this point. And beyond this, I get uncomfortable. Hey, I'm praying that God will take everybody in Faith Community Church and say, listen, I'm bringing you up to your comfort line and today we're taking a step beyond it. And guess what? When we take that step beyond the comfort line, God is there.
isn't he? <clears throat> Joshua found that out. A lot, of them, a lot of people all through the Bible found this out, that God was there and God was at work in their lives. Number 11 here, or verse 11, when it says, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The idea of putting on is, is to put these, uh, these spiritual armaments on and leave them on. I mentioned this earlier, we don't take them off, we don't put them on, all of this stuff. And it's going to enable us to stand firm. And this has the idea of holding a critical position while we're under attack. I'm standing firm this morning. I want you to stand firm. God wants you to stand firm. Because we need to realize there will be, if there isn't an attack today, there will be attacks. And when that attack comes, we stand firm. We're not just rolled over, falling over in the grass, getting trampled on, and while the enemy gets the best of us. We stand firm. And the enemy has no power over us. Our world today seems to be on a mad rush forward to accept demonic deceptions, strong tie-ins with the occult, religious philosophies. We are seeing, literally, we are seeing unrolled before us what Paul told 1 Timothy, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. I don't know, it's probably a couple weeks ago, I, I came home it was the evening, I was watching something on television, and during that time, there were a number of commercials that came across advertising different movies that was, that was coming up, that was gonna be rolling out in the next month or two or whatever. I think, and I didn't keep an accurate count of this, but I'm guessing there was at least, <coughs> at least four to five of these that had heavy demonic occultic action in them and all of this stuff. Folks, I'm just telling you right now, let me tell you as your pastor, you have no business going to stuff like that. That would be a bad mistake. That would be very foolish. Because you open the door. We're going to talk about that in a moment. You open the door for problems in your own life. Whole portions of the church today, listen to me, if you have a seat belt at your place, you should buckle it up right now for a moment. Whole portions of the church today are being enticed and swept away by liberal theology, by mysticism. Shortly before Christmas, somebody put a brochure in my door <clears throat> where I live in Humboldt, and the brochure was titled, Was Jesus Real? Now folks, that's simply demonic. Demonic. This is a scheme of the devil. I don't, I'm gonna name some names today. The Presbyterian Church of the United States is a church that has now literally fallen off the cliff. 
at a recent meeting, and I'm talking within the last few months, the moderator of this meeting, and it wasn't just a church meeting, it was a meeting of church leadership, lots of leaders, and I quote, Allah, bless us, help us on the path of the prophets, Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Moses, Jesus, and Mohammed. If I was sitting in that crowd, which there would be no reason for me to ever sit in that crowd, I would have screamed. That's demonic. I read in the same article, a number of United Methodist churches now opening their doors for Muslim prayers. Are you kidding me? This is the deception that Paul talked about, isn't it? Isn't this exactly what he talks about here? Seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. Now, if you think God is going to bless that, you are literally out of your mind. There is no blessing there. There is only curse on that. Okay, I'm moving on. I think one of Satan's most effective strategies, and it's a great danger to any of us, is the delusion that this conflict between good and evil is just in some kind of a spiritual realm. So let me be point blank on this. That kind of thinking is not only naive, but it will quickly lead to indifference and spiritual uh, stagnation. The war between the enemy and God has not diminished, it has intensified, and it's right here on earth. Pastor Russ, come on up here. We're gonna, we're gonna kind of wrap up a couple things here. And uh, just, we're gonna spend the, the next few moments. He and I are gonna, we have not rehearsed this, practiced this, or anything. So we may be eating a lot quicker than we think. <laughs> but, uh, I just felt like, you know, toward the end of the week when I was finishing up the preparation of this message, <clears throat> I really felt led to move into this kind of an area, sort of a subtext, if you will. <coughs> Dealing with angels, demons, and ghosts. I think God has given us five basic senses of sight, smell, taste, touch, um, and sound. I mean, these are very well-documented things. But there's another that some people call ESP. And I want to talk about that. That's called extrasensory perception. It's also sometimes called parapsychology, and which addresses certain things that are possessed by mediums, by psychics, who are involved in such thing as clairvoyance. Clairvoyance means that somehow I can be in touch with different spirits. Telekinesis, I want to define that real quick for you. How many of you have seen anything from Star Wars? It's okay, raise your hand. <laughs> We're not gonna, not gonna get at you. Remember when Luke Skywalker was battling it out with Darth Vader and he's, and his, uh, what do you call that thing? Lightsaber. 
lightsaber. <laughs> fell, <laughs> fell down and it rolled over there to the first row. And he looked at it and summoned the good side of the force and the lightsaber came back into his hand. That's telekinesis, okay? It's a good word to learn. Hey, some of you high schoolers, you ought to throw that into a paper that you're writing if you can and impress the... Uh, communication with the dead. The Bible makes it very clear, this is stuff you avoid. You do not do it. And the reason Pastor Russ and I are both standing here, we're going to both talk here for a moment, is because during these last six weeks or so, I think we stirred it up just a little bit in the realm of darkness. And we both had experiences with people that are facing genuine demonic activity in their lives. I mean, we're talking about things moving around in the house. We're talking about, at night, different things in their room, eyes that can be seen, stuff like that. It's pretty scary stuff. And this is evil. Well, and just kind of praying through what the Lord would want me to share regarding this topic of demonic activity. And, um, you know, as a youth pastor, students have a tendency to play around with this. You see all kinds of movies anymore, the paranormal uh, is activity and, and things that, horror films, and let's all get together and watch this and, and shut the lights off and scare the snot out of each other. And they think it's kind of innocent fun. Um, but there's a lot of overtones there that begin to start to play in, in the uh, people's lives that they don't realize. Now, I'm not saying that after they watch that film, you know, just random things are going to start happening to that individual. But I think over time, uh, what happens is, is it's almost like when you put a tea bag in a hot thing of water, it's not completely pitch black right away. It takes a little bit of time. The more stuff you bring into your life like that, it, the more twisted and demonic things are going to get. And um, can I use the, the podium just real quick to open up here? I want to just speak real quickly about a king that really did not live his life for the Lord. His name's Manasseh. And maybe you've heard of him before, but I want to read from uh, 2 Kings 21. And Manasseh, he be he began his kingship when he was 12 years old, young man. And uh, in the midst of his leadership, the nation got more and more and more involved in idols. That is, anything that replaces God in your heart. That's an idol. Anything that replaces God in your heart. And so he was setting up all of these idols. And, and there's a whole litany of things listed here in chapter 21 about all the just bad things that this king did. And I want you to listen to verse 6. King Manasseh sacrificed his own son in a fire. He practiced sorcery and divination and consulted mediums and spirits. And he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking the Lord to anger. And God's very clear that when you start finding and searching for things that really replace the role of God and what he does for people... 
uh, you start getting mixed into some weird things. Do you think he just woke up one day and said, I'm just going to throw my son in the fire? Or do you think it was because of all these things that he surrounded himself with, there was an enemy that was filling his life with all kinds of lies that then he thought, this seems okay. And so one of the things that uh, the Bible says here is that as God measures out this nation, he says it's like a plumb line. And how many of you know what a plumb line is like? Okay, It's that you hang it to the top of the wall and you, you put a piece of lead or something heavy at the bottom of it. And if that's level, it won't swing out. And you, you can see whether or not uh, a wall is true to being level. And so that same thought goes to this and saying, when it comes to these things that we allow into our lives, it needs to line up with God's word. And if that gets off just a little bit, and if you start going down that path, if you go down that wall and it's not level, that lead will get farther and farther away. You see how that works in the life of people who replace things in their life where God's supposed to be? They, they grab other stuff. They look for other stuff. And I think this is interesting, too. This is another verse I came across in Zechariah 10 talking about deception and what the enemy does in people's lives and these idols, these things that replace, replace God in our heart. The idols speak deceit. This is verse 2 in chapter 10. The idols speak deceit. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. And listen to this. They give comfort in vain. That is, they give comfort that's useless. And I know, I've heard of this. Somebody loses somebody that's really dear to them, and they want to speak to them again. And so they'll consult a medium to come in and somehow hear from that individual that they've lost. I'm telling you right now, here's how we line it up to what God's Word says, that when somebody dies, they immediately go of one of two places. There's no consulting hey, will you come back and speak to me? They're either in the presence of God or they're eternally separated from God. There's no wandering around, haunting people. When you hear of all that stuff, it's just simply demonic. And sometimes it may seem harmless. Well, I saw a little child, but nothing happened. Or it, There's all kinds of stuff like that that you hear. Even if it seems innocent, I'm telling you, it's a demonic activity. But then this is how that verse ends. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. And so as Pastor Niles and I spoke this week, and he brought this up, it's our heart as shepherds to give you that very clear instruction and saying this is what you have to be. You have to be careful to guard your heart from the things that the enemy wants to do. And the last thing is this. In this series... With frequency, I was reading this book last night, and I came across this, this quote. It says, The spirit realm is filled with sounds. Many are subtle, distracting, and deceiving impressions. It is imperative that believers know God's word in order to discern these sounds. That's that plumb line. We got to know, we got to know, God's word in order to understand when the enemy is deceiving.
let me add to this and just to dovetail into this uh, series. <clears throat> I imagine somewhere in my, I, I'm guessing the number in my Sunday school class is around 50 adults or so. Uh, maybe a handful more than that or whatever. Which means there's about 100 adults that are not in that class. And I'm concerned about that. I'd like to just challenge you, be a part of this. And when we fill that room up, we'll come in here and we'll fill this room up. We'll just move Sunday school in here. But this is so critical, it's so important. Um, just very, very briefly, very briefly, when we're talking about these various voices, um, and I, I know I mentioned this in a teaching one time, and so bear with me for a moment. But in a, in a situation that was in a hospital in a psych unit, it was a locked unit, I was asked to go speak with somebody, a young woman, and I and somebody else was with me. We, we both went in there. We, were both, we both felt we were prayed up, if you will. And we walked in there, and we uh, found this young woman. She was sitting in a kind of in a commons area. And we introduced ourselves. I had a Bible with me. And uh, this, practically the first thing this young woman said, is there any way that you can open that window? Now, we were on the fifth floor. I said, I can't open that window. Well, it had bars and everything else. I said, I can't open that. She said, would you please go try to open that window for me? I want to go to that window. Folks, that's demonic. We're dealing with demonic powers, voices, a person that is being controlled by the enemy. We sat down with her. We talked very briefly. And I said, I would like to read something from the word for you. And I think I was in Romans chapter 8. And I began to read that wonderful passage toward the end, Who Shall Separate Us? And right there, she began to quote that thing verbatim. Then stopped. I said, okay. And I began to quote another passage, I think from the Gospel of John. She quoted it verbatim. This was the devil. And I said, we'd like to pray with you now. And we will pray in the name of Jesus. And I said that purposely. Because I wanted, we'll get a reaction. And sure enough, we got it. She said, oh no, not that. I said, we're going to pray with you. Is that okay? Well, okay. And we begin to pray. And my friend that was with me, he's a young guy. He was an intern from a Bible college. He's a very bold guy. <laughs> and his boldness was sort of unbelievable, but I appreciated it. I mean, he's praying like crazy over here. He's calling on Jesus. And this woman starts screaming. And the orderlies come running. What's going on here? I said, we're just praying. You need to get out of here. They literally tossed us out of the building. I'm saying that because there are voices that do speak. 
and they are evil. And there are voices that know the Bible probably better than I do that are still evil. Oftentimes I sit right there in times of, as the worship service goes on, praying, God, I want to be right, right, square on. And God will say, pray with people this morning. Now, that's never on the agenda. Did you notice that? We never put that in our church bulletin. It's never there. Pray with people this morning. And it just shifts you all out. Or there may be something else. And there's been a couple occasions when, when God says, look, you can fold this up today. You won't need it. I'll give you a word. Etc. Etc. We need to hear from God, people, and make sure it really is God. Donnelly, would you come back? We're going to make a change, though. Uh, it's the fun of working with me. Would you find power in the blood? You guys find that back there? Here's what. Here's one I want to leave the, as the last word. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater, listen to me, greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. Say that with me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Never forget that. Never, never, never forget that. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 16, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, or in other words, overpower against Christ's church. You are the church. And the devil will not prevail over you, okay? Connie, would you come back? Could you play with us, please? Can you find that? We're only gonna do one verse. So we gotta make it good on the first one. All right, all right. Okay, stand with me. We're gonna wind it up right now. Folks, you can walk out of this place with victory in your hearts. You can walk out of this place and not say, I am afraid to take a step away from this sanctuary. I'm afraid because the enemy might be after me. No, 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 don't look at it this way. You have won, you, Jesus has won the victory over that enemy. He lives in you. He has poured his spirit into you. You are alive in him, and you have victory over that enemy. That enemy is a defeated enemy. He is defeated. Walk in victory. Amen? Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep each one of these precious ones. Thank you for their lives. Father, I pray may the grace of God and the face of God just shine upon their lives and great power, bring authority into their lives. Father, cause the word to live in their hearts and in their minds. Father, I pray may the spirit of the Lord rise up within them when faced with the enemy and they overcome that enemy by the testimony of the word and the blood of the lamb. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.